Hello, welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast. This is episode number 72. My name is Adam. Today we're joined by Kevin. How are you, Kevin? Uh, science fiction, mud daubers. Mud daubers? The pull, the pull page from Ryan's handbook. Science infection, mud daubers. Nice. Very nice. I have a mud dauber nest right outside my front door. Hmm. Okay. And they terrify me for whatever reason. And that's yeah. the only place I can smoke. I'm scared shitless. <laughs> uh, well, today we have a great show lined up. First, I had a chance to speak with directors Mark Cavino and Jeff Howlett on a band called Death, which is hitting theaters June 28th and is currently playing on Video On Demand. Uh, then we'll be taking a look at some of what we've been watching. Then we'll have Ernie back on the show to do a feature review of Mark Forster's World War Z. And finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First up, let's talk with Mark Vino and Jeff Howlett on their new documentary, A Band Called Death. Jeff and Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, let's just get it out there. Band Called Death. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the movie? Go, Jeff. Sure. A Band Called Death is a story about three African-Americans from East Detroit that formed a proto-punk band in the early 70s. And we tell a story about family, uh, love of music, and uh, punk rock. So how did you guys first discover death? Um, I actually, uh, actually one of the sons, Bobby Hackney Jr., came up to me in 2008 and said, Hey, I, uh, I'm in this band with my brothers called Rough Francis, and we're playing at this place called the Monkey House in Winooski, Vermont. You should come check it out. And uh, so I was like, all right. So I figured at the time, you know, I'm going to be checking out some Lamb's Bread music because a rock and roll band I was in in the early 90s played with Lamb's Bread. So so I figured they'd be covering their father's music. Um, And I went to the gig, and I was just completely blown away. I mean, I, I was not expecting what was coming out i mean it was just mind-blowing to hear this music because you know over the years i would you know run into bobby and you know we would talk music and family and stuff and uh he never mentioned that he was in this you know amazing band from the 70s and uh um when i heard that i mean as a as a, a fan of punk rock you know from the time i was probably 12 um, I mean, and, and playing in like in bands and stuff, and punk rock bands in the in the early '80s and stuff. I never, you know, I mean, to hear that music played and played so well by those guys on honoring their father. I mean, it just it, it was it was great. And then to actually hear um, the music and hear the tracks um, and this, you know, the seven inch and stuff. I mean, I was sold. And then around the time the New York Times article came out, um, you know, I was like, well, we, we really got to start documenting this stuff because I was in film school at the time. Mark and I actually went to the same film school in, in Vermont, and um, that's not how we met. We actually met on a music video but um, that I was directing, and, and he was the assistant camera on. But uh, I had talked to Mark. I actually told Mark, I said, well, dude, you got to check out this New York Times article because I... At the time, I really wanted to, you know, I really needed some help because I interviewed Bobby Hackney Jr. And, and, I mean, 
we had probably about an hour and a half interview and it just it blew my mind like you know the generational story of the band and sort of not even telling their sons about it until you know 2008 when they sort of found out by chance about the about the band you know and um just to i said mark you know i i really need you to help me light some stuff and for these interviews that i have upcoming and i'll sort of pass the mic over to to mark to take it from there you son of a bitch I met, so I met Jeff on a music video, and yeah, like he said, he just told me about this New York Times article and about this music, this amazing music, blah, blah, blah. It was going in one ear and out the other for me because I had just come off my own feature-length uh, music documentary, and I was completely burnt out on doing documentaries all in general. Um, so I, uh, I told him, send me an email with this New York Times article, send me these two audio tracks from the band, and I'll take a look at it when I get home. I got home and I completely ignored his email. I, like for two weeks, I didn't look at this email. And then I had one of those. I'm a filmmaker, but I'm not really making the kind of film I want to make. I'm more a rock and roll fan than hip hop fan. The other film's hip hop. Let me uh, let me take a look at this fucking email. Also, Jeff had told me he wanted to do a 20 minute doc, so I figured, yeah, you know, 20 minute doc, we could shoot this in a weekend, get it done, you know, bag it. So I, I looked at his email. I read the New York Times article, and I I couldn't believe what I had read, I thought, wow, this is this is actually real. I thought Jeff was maybe making some of this up. And then I played the two tracks, Keep on Knocking and Politicians, and I fell out of my seat. And I had immediately called Jeff back that day and said, uh, you're fucking crazy if you think this is going to be a 20-minute doc. We're going out to do a feature-length documentary. This is a way bigger story than that. And that's kind of where it took off. So basically the premise is that there's this great, band that that's sort of punk rock before punk rock even really took off and they were kind of lost they they kind of just disappeared and then the the former members of the band who are all brothers uh basically formed uh, other bands like lamb spread like you mentioned mm. previously which was a reggae band right yeah. and fourth movement <laughs> all of a sudden you know the, this band kind of resurfaces after being sort of lost for years and years and that that's the thing that i think that's really interesting about this story and i guess my question is why do you think that there was such a resurgence in the music was it just simply because they were rediscovered well i mean you know and i i think it was because they were discovered not rediscovered just to oh yeah i guess that's <laughs> yeah that's but, a better uh, term. go ahead jeff uh, well i was just gonna say you know it's uh you know, and there's a lot more of this that we that we could have explored. But obviously, it would be a you know ten hour uh, documentary. But you know, there's the whole community around um, uh, record collecting, and you know, there's you know we had some record collectors in the film, but you know, there's a lot more folks that had that seven inch that are out there that sort of knew about the band. I mean, Jello Biafra, I think, had the album <clears throat> for about twenty years. You know before so um but it was sort of the you know as a record collector it's like you know you sort of like oh I, i'm the only one that has the seven inch you know just sort of like keeping it secret almost you know like maybe telling a couple friends and it was ben blackwell who posted on the chunklet website the two tracks that sort of like it started seeping out to sort of 
everybody else, if you will. Um, and then his band, actually, the Dirt Bombs, covered Politicians in My Eyes in uh, 2008. And, uh, you know, it sort of op started opening the doors up and, and it started, um, you know, getting posted on other blogs. You know, this band existed. But to be honest with you, I mean, it's like, I mean, as the guys will tell you, and, and you know, even now, it's like, you know, we we're just playing rock and roll. You know, call it whatever you want. You know, if you want to call it punk, proto-punk, I mean, punk to them back in the day was like, you know, it was fighting words, as, as Bobby said, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, for them, it's just, they were just playing hard driving rock and roll, playing, playing music as fast as they could, you know. And, one of the things that I like is is the fact that it, the internet plays a role in this, right? So it's like, would this band have caught on if it weren't for the internet? And a lot of people kind of look at the internet and music as, as kind of a bad thing. You know, like the, the market is completely oversaturated with mediocre music. And then you, you have this kind of lost gem, this diamond in the rough. And I would also say that uh, it's similar to Searching for Sugar Man, which is a documentary that came out what, last year, where you know this this other guy Rodriguez he gets discovered sort of through the internet. Do you think that this is going to be a more common thing where these bands that have been previously lost are going to be coming back through people digging on the internet? It played a huge part the internet uh, i think that's part of the reason why it took off so well is because people were so sick of hearing shit music on the internet and all of a sudden here's this amazing music that's just discovered you know and and only a select few that knew about those blogs or looked at that blog or you know knew about it uh i think it's i think it's pretty cool and i definitely don't think that the death story would have gotten as big if it wasn't for the internet myself and also also you guys in promotion of the film started up a website or someone was a draft house yeah, someone, that started up the website. Someone did. I don't know. Uh, someone started up a website uh, where people can submit their stories about their, oh. their fathers in a bat in a band. Yeah, my, my dad was in my a band. Dad was in a band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. And so that I guess that kind of helps get the word out about some of these lesser known bands as well. But it also kind of feeds into really the second part of the film where it's it's uh like the familial element of this story where you know the uh bobby hackney jr is kind of picking up the reins from his father and getting the band out there getting the name out there yeah yeah definitely i mean that was you know uh evan from from draft house actually started that website and um you know he just saw it as a big outlet to sort of you know, see what bands are out there, and they've gotten definitely some interesting uh, bands already on the site. And I'm, I mean, I'm always interested to discover more music in that way too. You know, just see what see what else is out there because you never know. I mean, uh, you know, it's just it is oversaturated. I agree because um, you know before internet and record collecting, I mean, it was sort of like you know there was some of the list sites and stuff like that, not not websites, but um, lists that you would get like mailing lists and stuff like that and like maximum rock and roll back in the day where you get it and be like oh mm -hmm. I wonder what you know label you know maybe has some album that I might be interested in or something like that you know it's like some dude in his garage in you know Illinois or wherever and you're like oh well I wonder you know what he has you know and sort of 
do it that way or even the sort of the, the tape thing where you're like sort of trading tapes around and stuff. Yeah, tape trading. Comp- compilation of like, here's my list, you know, like what do you got, you know. Um, so, you know, I mean, today it's just everything. It's like it is overwhelming, you know, but it's uh, it's like, you know, a lot of times it's like, um, you know, it's like a lot of rec- recommendations like, you know, hey, my buddy's has this, you know, he emails me an email, like, check this band out, you know, or I'll ask, you know, some of my friends, like, what do you guys listen to now, you know, I mean, kind of similar, but it's just, like, more vast, I get sort of overwhelmed, like, on my Facebook or something, I'll be like, so what do you listen to today? And I'll get, like, you know, 50 comments of, like, you know, and I just get overwhelmed, I was like, all right, well, what's good? You know, just, just tell me what the good shit is out there. <laughs> Do you guys think that that's a good thing or or a bad thing? I mean, like, do you think that some of the the allure, the discovery is is kind of lost because of the internet? Whereas before, you know, you would trade tapes with your friends, you would you would go to record stores and like you know go crate digging and all this stuff. I mean, I definitely, I think it definitely takes away from that because I mean, when you think about it, it's like. I mean, how? I mean, I still do. I'll I'll take a record, you know, go to the record store and grab a record and put it on, and put the needle down, and you listen to the whole thing. There's no skipping through. There's no, you know, scrubbing, you know, the track. You know, it's all just you put the needle on, and you spend, you know, twenty minutes, you know, fifteen, twenty minutes, whatever aside, and you're in it. You know, there it. If you don't listen to records, you don't understand. You know, it's like it's like one of those things where you know. I think from from making the film and like um, you know, it sort of turns people onto that. Well, hey, these guys actually have some music. Hey, you know, maybe I should get this album. You know, I mean, that's. I was actually just talking to a friend of mine today. He's like, you know, he sent me a post and he's like, hey man, this, you know, you just turned me on to death. You know, I mean, he was you know, in the garage and punk stuff and playing in bands since the eighties, you know, he's like, I'm so glad you turned me on to this album, you know, and the movie turned me on to buying the album. And then you get sort of the vice versa, you know, where it's like you get people that are, you know, maybe they were one of those collectors that, that bought that, you know, seven inch off a list or whatever, or heard it off, you know, now on bring it back to online, you know, got it off, chunklet or whatever from Ben Blackwell's post but um, I don't know it, it sort of helps and hurts you know it's like it, it helps mm-hmm. that it's like oh well there's vinyl there's actually vinyl so it's like well you know if you're somebody that you know was born in you know 1995 and up or whatever you don't know what a you know you might not be exposed to what a, what is a record player what is vinyl you know, there's a record. There's not like an MP3. There's not, you know, an iTunes download. You know, I mean, I, it's, I mean, I don't know. I think it's a lot of this gets lost. I don't know. I don't know. No, I agree with you completely. Any any ideas? Maybe if they're gonna press a new vinyl, they have. Oh, they have. Great. They, they, That's awesome. They got new music coming out right now. Actually, Rockfire Funk Express just came out as a uh, 45 through Jack White's company. Uh, third man records oh that's fantastic yeah. so ha- have you guys kept in touch with the band since making the film <laughs> they live right in my backyard dude <laughs> i see <laughs> these fucking guys all the time it's like i can't get enough of them <laughs> I mean, 
I'm always over there. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah no. It's yeah. no, they're great. They're they're always happy, <laughs> and that makes me happy because I'm always depressed. <laughs> they did. They do seem like a happy group of guys. So I, I just want to ask again, going back to like how you structured the documentary. Did you know how the story was going to play out before? Uh, setting setting out to create the film because the way that you have it structured it, it just all fits together so so nicely we we started it with just the new york times as a guideline and then jeff interviewed bobby jr down by the waterfront before he asked me to come on board and so we had that as well and um once we started filming um you know originally we were trying to do almost like a last waltz type movie where we're just following these guys playing their music, um, you know, Rough Francis, on to death, and then maybe little anecdotes and interviews in between. But then the more we kept interviewing people, we realized it was a deeper story than that. And everybody kept mentioning David this and David that. And, and once, once we had a handful of interviews in where David seemed to be the main focus, um, we, knew, uh, we knew we had the backbone to our movie. And, and it, in a way, it kind of morphed into itself i mean our our editor rich fox helped a lot with putting it all together but uh but in a way it was very organic the way it came together yeah it 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 fits like i said it fits together really nicely and i think that that's why people are just so kind of enamored with the story just because you guys really i feel like you really covered all your bases by going over the original band and then going into rough francis and and talking about all that stuff and i think that it that makes like a truly great, you know, rock documentary. Well, Jeff, Jeff and me, you know, we had a conversation at the beginning and, and we agreed that we need to get every single bit of information out of these guys about their entire lives, about their bands. Um, like they, this is, we're basically, we're, we're teaching a history lesson here and, and we don't want to, you know, we don't want to fumble on it. You know, we want to give all the goods. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so some of these interviews, you know, we did three interviews with Bobby and Dennis I think one of them was about seven to twelve hours, you know, straight, um, where they just spilled their guts out to us. But, uh, but yeah, it was it was a process, three years of filming. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it came together really nicely. Let's do some plugging. Sure. Uh, the film is currently on video on demand right now, and it's on iTunes, Amazon, all that, all those platforms correct yeah if, the, if people go to www.abandcalleddeath.com i know how original um yet they can get links to all the places to download the movie as well as a full listing of theaters that it's going to be playing at starting this june 28th right so that was my next thing so it's going to be in select cities june 28th so i would definitely recommend seeing it in a the theater if you can mm, yes and if not fortunately you can Watch it on your couch. Yes. <laughs> please see it in the theater, though. Yes, please do. <laughs> so uh, you guys are on Draft House Films. How are they treating you? They're great. Um, this is the first film I've ever made that's been bought, and I, I got to say, it's 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 been a wild ride. They've been treating us very well. Yeah. Now, was the premiere at South by? Is that where you guys had your premiere? No, our, our premiere was at the Los Angeles Film Festival last June, actually. Oh, okay. Almost to the oh, date. Okay. Yeah. Um, we we've just been going the film festivals nonstop since then for the most part. All right, well I think that that wraps it up. Thank you so much, guys, for taking some time and be sure to check out the movie. Yeah, thank you, man. Thank you, appreciate it. Thanks again, Mark and Jeff. Be sure to check out a band called Death in theaters if you can. If not, I highly recommend checking it out on VOD. 
let's go ahead and jump into some of what we've been watching. I think I'll start it off this week. Uh, got a got a number of things worth mentioning. Although I I will say that it was kind of a disappointing week for me. Not a lot of what greatness. What we talked a lot of greatness. We talked about this last week. That's well, every t- week for you. You usually though, usually I'll have a lot that I don't recommend, but there will be a couple in there. That's true. You usually like, yeah. have like one or two. Yeah. So uh, I started off this week with Cannibal Ferox, which is. Uh, that was my Grindhouse Weekly yeah. article. Uh, I decided that it was high time that I get into the cannibal subgenre mm-hmm. of exploitation. And th- this is one that I've always been putting off because I have seen Cannibal Holocaust and I hate it. I hate... It's funny because I feel like this is the, a type of subgenre of exploitation that has potential to be something interesting but they always fuck it up. And in Cannibal Ferox, they did the same thing where there was more animal torture and death in this movie than I've probably ever seen before. Mm, okay. It's ridiculous. And it's not, it has nothing to do with the story. They just put it in there to shock you. Yeah. Gotta love that. And it's just. <sighs> I just don't understand it. I don't understand how anyone can watch a movie like this and be entertained by it. If they took if they took that stuff out, there's a scene where they they tie a mongoose up to like a stick and let an anaconda eat it. Okay. And they show that it's like a five minute long scene of an anaconda killing and eating a mongoose. Gotcha. What's that have to do with the story? It has nothing to do with the story. That's the thing. They show there's a scene where these natives are killing this tortoise, which is really horrific looking. And a lot of people are like, well, that's just nature. That's just, you know. But it's not, though. What? Tying tying a mongoose up to a stick. Dude, that happens and... all the time in nature. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, that's that's not nature. But I've uh, watched more... on several occasions tigers and such tie up a mongoose to a stick. And then feed it to an anaconda, just you know, for shits and giggles. Doesn't and that it happen? Sucks. It sucks because if you take away the animal torture and and killing, this would be a pretty entertaining movie. It would still be shocking, mm-hmm. uh, just because of the there's a lot of human torture and, and death in it too. But it's fake, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so that makes it a little bit more watchable. Um, but. It's it's a hard movie to recommend just be, just because of that. And Cannibal Holocaust has some real animal killing in it as well. Great. Love it. Yeah, so we talked before about you watching Get over a Grindhouse film every month. <laughs> uh, I might, I I might watch it just so I can rail against it. Because that is one of the one of the big things that I fucking hate are these directors that use like animal cruelty to be shocking. Well, see, and that's that's the thing. Like, there's a- there's a movie. You have a movie like Wake and Fright that has a particularly gruesome scene where they kill a whole bunch of kangaroos. But the difference is that pertains to the story. That is actually a plot line in the story. Yeah. Moreover, when they were filming that, they didn't do they didn't kill those kangaroos for the film. Yeah. They just used footage of actual hunters. Yeah, exactly. But this is, it's, it's just too much. 
if if you do watch any of them, I'm I would still recommend Cannibal Holocaust just because it's that's the granddaddy. That's the big one. That's the big one. Yeah, isn't that Kendrick like one? Fair- of, isn't that one of the first like found footage too? Uh, yeah, it's sort of found footage. Um, yeah, it's like a supposedly documentary footage that was recovered. Uh, after a documentary crew got killed, but oh. Cannibal Ferox is similar, but it, it has nothing to do with like a documentary or anything like that. It's more of just a straight narrative. It's also Italian, like Cannibal Holocaust. Oh. Um, very, very similar. There was like a whole slew of these Cannibal movies that came out in the uh, late seventies, early eighties, and they're all pretty similar and deplorable. Yeah, uh, I would imagine. Yeah, it's just it's it's hard to recommend them. I mean, if like I said, if you see any of them, see Cannibal Holocaust just just to say that you because it it is an influential film. It is yeah. kind of a groundbreaking film. But just be warned. There's some really serious dark stuff in it. Why uh, <laughs> you can't? I couldn't. I couldn't uh, glean that from the title. I mean, it's dark. Cannibal Holocaust. I mean, it's <laughs> well, dark. Yeah. A lot of people thought that it was real. That was the thing. Like, with Hannibal... Cannibal. Hannibal. 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 Hannibal Holocaust. Hannibal Cannibal. <laughs> sounds like a great show for, like, Disney. Hannibal yeah, Cannibal. there we go. Uh, I saw Kaboom. This came out... Ooh, I saw this on... Okay. I saw this on Netflix. Uh came out in 2010. I like the director. This is the same guy. His name's Greg... Iraqi? Yeah. I was uh, I was slightly interested in this film. Guy did uh Mysterious Skin. Yeah, he did Mysterious Skin, which I loved. He also did the Doom Generation, which I remember liking that a lot, but it's been years since I've seen it. Uh he did Smiley Face, which I did not like very much. Uh, but I haven't those were the only other ones that I've seen by him. Yeah. Uh Kaboom was probably lower on my list. I didn't it started off fine. I was really into it at the beginning, um, but it, it slowly went downhill, and I thought that the end was kind of ridiculous. It has this really abrupt ending where I was just like, that's it? Like, that's that's where we're going with it? Um, but, you know, it's got a, a very some very serious uh, subject matter to it, like as far as the sex in it. A lot of sex going on in this movie. Okay. Uh, some gay sex action, yeah. but it, if you know the director, that's kind of typical. It wasn't anything like, wasn't like short bus or anything where it was like just full on nonstop. Yeah, where it's like, you know, full penetration. Is this? Uh, and I'm I'm going this off of a user review on IMDb. Is this nuttier than squirrel shit? No. Okay. So Brent Tracton is off base. It's it's weird. It's kind of an absurd movie where there's a lot of really strange things that happen. Uh, there's this there's a science fiction element to it. There's this uh, sort of okay. That was um, gonna mis- that was gonna be my next question because the synopsis says the sci-fi story. I was gonna sort of wondering what the sci-fi element of this whole tale is. It's really hard to kind of categorize this movie. Uh, because it's just all over the place. I mean, it starts off as kind of a typical college uh, sex comedy, Mm. but 
it morphs into this thing where there's like serial killers and the end of the world and oh, okay and like visions and mysticism and witches and it's just it's a, it's pretty out there yeah. it's pretty fun for the most part it'd be probably a light recommend if you liked if you like these kind of 90s uh like sex indie sex comedies like um i guess doom generation would be a good example but it reminded me of uh rules of attraction sort of okay if you like those types of movies probably check it out i'm gonna go uh, i'm gonna go ahead and say that i don't like anything from the 90s mm, i do almost god what a terrible time in history well i i mean the 90s had the big indie indie film boom so. i know i know it's just whenever i hear 90s i cringe <laughs> someone's like it's from the 90s i'm like oh god <laughs> oh no uh, you get a little shiver down uh, your spine no thank you oh i saw okay what's next love Marilyn. this is a documentary one of the hbo summer documentaries apparently they found a box recently that contained a a whole bunch of letters and journal entries and things like that from Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. And it was like, th- this is all like previously unread stuff. Okay. And so they, they took all this box full of letters and stuff and they decided to make a documentary about this. And they got all these famous people to read the letters as Marilyn Monroe or various people in her life okay and i'll tell you like i like the movie overall but sometimes the 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 famous actors reading the the things or pretending to be marilyn monroe seemed kind of ridiculous what adrian birdie he was fine Uh, Uh, i'm trying to pick which one would be the bad one i was instinctively thought adrian birdie Lindsay lohan oh okay yeah that's terrible (laughs) actually she it's not that any of them did a bad job. I mean, even Lindsay Lohan probably was better in this than anything I've seen her in in recent memory. But just the the whole thing, it was very it was very theatrical. Like basically, it was just the actor uh, reciting this from like in front of a green screen, and there'd be like something happening behind it. This so it had it had this very theatrical feel to it. This I mean, I gotta be completely honest, this sounds fucking awful. It's it's not it's not that bad. See first first off, let me say I really don't know much about Marilyn Monroe. I've seen maybe one of her movies and I was never a big fan and I didn't know a lot. So this it was interesting to kind of hear her story coming from her own words Mm -hmm. that was interesting but it it was it was fine i guess (laughs) (laughs) if you're into marilyn monroe you might want to check this out yeah i have a feeling you're gonna love it but it's got a ton of people in it i mean got elizabeth banks uh evan rachel wood uma thurman ben foster jeremy piven i was gonna say that seems the one that's the most like out of place ben foster uh, he was ben in Foster? a lot, actually. Ben he Foster. was fine. Uh, yeah, ben Foster. I like Ben Foster, but he just seems extremely out of place. Yeah. Some I don't know. Some of the choices seemed seemed a little odd. We have Paul Giamatti, Glenn Close, Lily Taylor, Viola Davis, Ellen Burstyn, Oliver Platt. 
Oliver. He can do anything flat. Guy's a utility man. Yeah. So, Love, Maryland. It's available on HBO Go if you want to check that out. Eh, I guess another light recommend. Uh, And then the only other one I wanted to mention was Twin Peaks Firewalk with Me. Oh. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the show, but I never saw the movie. Because to me, essentially, the movie's like a prequel to the show. Yeah. So I never really saw a point. I was like, why? I already know what happens. Why do I need a movie about this? And basically, the film takes place a week before the death of Laura Palmer and... You know, it's it's your pretty typical David Lynch, Twin Peaks style tale. There's Because it's a movie, there's a lot more sex and violence and drug use. And it feels a lot more adult. And it's a little bit more surreal than the TV show was. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that happens in this where you're just like, what? <laughs> like, I don't understand anything. And also... The fact that I was pretty far removed from the TV show, I was a little confused about some of the relationships, but a lot of it came back to me as I was watching it. I can't really recommend that either. I mean, if you're a huge Twin Peaks fan, it's probably worth checking out. Might be worth watching the movie first, then watching the show. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. I would probably recommend that because it gives you a nice little backstory about the characters and stuff. So maybe that's worth checking out. Kiefer, Su- Kiefer Sutherland's in it in an early, pretty early role. Chris Isaac's in it. Heather <laughs> Heather Graham. Yeah, yeah. Heather Graham. That had to be very... that had to be like one of her first movie roles. Yeah, I think I think it had to be. David Bowie in it for a little bit <laughs> in this really odd uh, performance by David Bowie. Every David Bowie performance is odd. Pretty much, yeah. Even David Bowie being David Bowie is an odd performance. Yeah, I mean, this is this is pretty much David Lynch being David Lynch. I mean, there's a lot of weird characters that like speak in reverse and and yes, a lot of strange rooms and just a ton of weirdness. There's always there's always that strange room. Yep, always. Oh yeah, I saw Monsters University. Oh, yeah, that good. Uh no, it was good. I was just waiting to. I was kind of thinking that we were going to be reviewing it, but we aren't. So it's uh, it's good. Yeah. You know, I'd I'd probably sit somewhere around like a seven out of ten on that. It's an enjoyable time. Is that that's yeah, what that's what I gather from your seven is that you had fun while you were watching it, but yeah, I mean it, it wasn't the thing. The thing is, Pixar has set the bar so high that I feel like that they have a really hard time meeting that bar. Gotcha. So when they come out with a movie that's just fine, like it's it's better than probably anything that DreamWorks has been putting out as of late, but it's not on the same caliber as something like Up or WALL-E. Like when that happens, it, it just feels kind of weird. Yeah. But I will say that I liked Monsters University more than Brave, I thought that it was really funny. wasn't I mean, it wasn't on the same level as the original one, but it was it was still just a fun time. I mean, I definitely recommend checking it out. It's gonna say that's really all you're asking for. Mm-hmm. Monsters University, you just want it to be fun. It is. I mean, the animation's fine. It actually doesn't look a lot different than the 
original one, I was thinking that there'd be a lot, that it would look a lot different just because of the advances in the animation since the original one came out. But it looks pretty much the same. I mean, some of the textures look a little bit more defined, but, you know, I I I would definitely check it out. Even if you don't have kids or anything like that, I'd still recommend going to see it. All right. All right. That's all I got. So the first movie that I watched this week was Kim Duck Kim's Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, and Spring. So this is a director, Korean director, that I've heard so many good things about. He's so amazing. One of the best directors working today. And the only other film I saw was Pieta, which we talked about before, which was, to me, a huge disappointment. I liked it a lot, for the record. And I was just completely dumbfounded, really as to why people love this guy so much. So doing a little research, I found out spring, summer, fall, winter, and spring is his like most revered movie. This is the thing that put him on the map. So I said, I'll give this a shot. If this lets me down, I'm done with Kim. I'm done with his movies. Now, this is completely different than Pieta. This is just a real like slow Buddhist meditation type film, which... I mean, everyone loves it except for a couple people here and there, but of course they hate it for the reason that I thoroughly enjoyed it, which was that there was just such a tranquility to everything that was happening. And it was, I don't know if it was just perfect timing because I was almost looking for a movie like this at the time and I just sort of got lucky and I ended up loving it. I mean, it's just a very simple tale of they live on a floating temple an old man monk and this little boy follows them for a little bit. Then the little boy grows up. He's probably, you know, adolescence age, 18, something like that. And a woman comes to, she's, she's sick. So she comes to be cured and everything. And he falls in love with her. So he ends up abandoning the Buddhist religion, runs off with her. Some other stuff happens. He comes back. And it's just, it's sort of like a a meditational karma, but it's just very slow going, but very tranquil and serene, which was quite odd given Pieta caught me off guard a little bit. And I mean, from from what I'm reading a little bit, it seems like this guy's all over the map with his films. It seems that way, yeah. Which I, I like that, but it can be, you know, to one's detriment sometimes. Because, you know, they're not going to excel at everything. Yeah. But I, wanna, I wanted to ask, what is the Mobius? Because you were, you were telling me to watch Mobius. Well, I was saying that I'm excited for that. It's not out yet. Okay. That's his newest um, film, I take it? Yeah, that's his, that's his newest film that it got. It recently got banned in South Korea. Oh, there you go. That's all. Apparently, there's a, there's a fair amount of incest that happens in the film. Oh, Okay. And they uh, they didn't ban it outright. It it was banned from theaters. Basically, it was one of these deals where it got uh, some sort of adults only rating gotcha. that that kind of banishes it from main the main theaters and kind of relegates it to just some select art house cinemas. Which I mean, for him, really, that's that's the only place he's showing up in America. So yeah, I don't think it's going to affect him really at all. It'll probably well, actually that, help him. Yeah. Well, the, the, I mean, it's getting a lot of buzz, and I think that it's probably going to be playing the the festivals. 
I think that uh, a lot of people are thinking that it's going to pop up like in Toronto and maybe Telluride or one of those other ones yeah. or Venice. So yeah, we'll see. I'm I, I really want to see it. I mean, I I thoroughly enjoyed spring, summer, fall, winter, and spring. But I mean, a lot of people are putting this on the mantle of masterpiece, and I don't think it's quite there. But I was just pleasantly surprised to see that on IMDb's top 250, it's 242. Top 250 wow. films. I, to, I, don't, I don't know if I would agree with that. I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. There was wonderful pacing to it. Fine performances, great cinematography, but I don't know if I would put it in the top 250 films of all time. I'm going to have to watch this, this this week. I also want to check out Real Fiction. That sounds cool. There's actually a number of his films that I want to see. I, I, I'm slightly interested now. Yeah, I might have to go in a little... With the f- Kim Key Duck, Kim Key Duckathon. Yeah, I mean, considering that this film is like on the complete opposite end of the spectrum as to Pieta, that, that that always gets me interested. I want to see what else is going on there, filmography-wise. And then I followed that up with a terrible decision, <sighs> a sci-fi indie film called Earthling, which is play instant on Netflix and do not watch it. Okay. Uh, this is number one, one of the main selling points for indie films. And we've talked about this is they usually keep it short, you know, mostly because budget restricts them from going long, but somehow, uh, Clay Lyford who directed Earthling said, fuck that. And I'm going to make an epic film just close to two hours long. And I really wish he didn't because he wasted a lot of my time. And this is a, like, I was going into it, th- this is a sci-fi film. And I was going into it thinking that it would be, you know, a low budget. And because of that, it would be sort of like your philosophical type sci-fi film, you know, in the vein mm-hmm. of like Solaris or World on a Wire, where you don't rely heavily on special effects. I'm hoping Europa Report is like that. We'll see. Yeah, I, I seem to enjoy those sci-fi films a lot more than like the action sci-fi films. But, no, they rely heavily on special effects in Earthling. And I really wish they didn't because they didn't have the money to back it up or the talent, really. Because all the special effects came across as fucking silly. They just looked ridiculous and just completely took me out of the film. Every time the special effect would just show up, I'd be like, I just sort of chuckled to myself. I'd be like, are you serious? Why this you... is like CG or... Yeah, it's like, why, why? Why are you doing this? you got to know that when you're looking at your footage that it looks terrible. Why make it such an integral part of the story? Or at least try and find some way to like circumvent using these special effects. But to rely so heavily on something that you're not able to do, it just, it looks awful. And then to do that for two hours just uh, it was atrocious i just i felt bad to a point i really did it's it, it's essentially the stories the mysterious atmospheric event happens and it sort of awakes creatures on earth that they find out that they're not actually earthlings that they're something else they're from another planet and then they try and get home but all the special effects that go into it are just there it's terrible and the pacing's terrible because it just drags on forever 
And the worst part is, is it just drags on, drags on. And then finally at the end, they're like, oh, shit, we have to finish this. We have no idea how to. So they just just rush through the ending, mm. which is, is, is something that you see a lot of times in indie films yeah. where they just they don't know how to end it. They don't know how to end the film. But the problem with this one is that everything that happens before that is not good. Like a lot of times the build up to it's okay and they just fuck up the ending. This they just fuck up everything. And it's a complete waste of time. I would not do, stay well clear of Earthling. I know you might be on Netflix thinking, oh, that sounds interesting. It's not. Stay away. Yeah, but you didn't like Monsters and I like that a lot too. So <laughs> This is this is a lot worse than Monsters. Okay. Okay. Like the special effects in Monsters look amazing compared to this amazing <laughs> this is i mean awful which is it sucks because like there's some decent people in this most notably peter green from pulp fiction mm-hmm. and clean shaven i mean he does a good job but they, they don't really give him much and I, I feel bad that he's in it but then i did follow that up with a 10 out of 10 so there you go and i don't know if it's if i enjoyed this movie so much more because i watched earthling before it you know what I mean? Like I watched such a, yeah. such a shitty film that I automatically love this film even more than I should. And what I'm talking about is Louis Malle's My Dinner with Andre. Now, this is a film that's to me, I've always loved, even though I haven't seen it. Just based on the synopsis, I just absolutely love it. Because much like how you love containment type thrillers, I love films that are just people talking to each other. Just having discussions, shooting the shit. Uh, yeah, I like that too. For whatever reason, I love that. I just love people discussing like experiences and philosophies and whatever it may be, unless you're waking life or anything else by Linklater. I hate all of those. But anything else. Melvin Goes to Dinner? Uh, Melvin Goes to Dinner. is that I, I love that film. I've watched that film probably 30, 40 times. Absolutely love it. Which I know that My Dinner with Andre has a huge influence on that film. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those where I automatically in my head, I love it. So there was a point that I didn't want to watch it because I, I thought maybe it wouldn't live up to my expectations that I had to it for it, which is completely unrealistic and sort of stupid. But finally, I did it. I mean, I love Louis Maul. I love Wallace Shawn. And I ended up absolutely loving this film. It's so fucking good. And it's, it's just Andre Gregory and Wallace Shawn talking over dinner. That's it. There's nothing else. No more, no less. Just a discussion between two guys. That's it. But it's this weird sort of, I mean, they both work in the theater, so it's sort of, they're talking about, like, uh, theater experiments and improvisations and all this stuff and trying to get an audience to connect with, like, real-world emotions and try and open up their eyes from, like, their robotic habitual living. And... Essentially, this film is their experiment. It's just two people talking to try and wake up the audience and just what they discuss. And Andre Gregory has to give like one of the best performances I've ever seen. And all I mean, all he does is talk. He's just sitting there and talking. But he captivated my attention throughout the entire 110 minutes. Like I was clinging on to every single word that he said. It was so damn interesting. And this is one of those films that like if I could get the script to this, I, I would probably read this script like once or twice a year. Mm. I was just like that thoroughly captivated by everything that they were saying. 
In on a, a on a slightly related note, have you seen have you seen the trip? Have we? Yes, yes. And uh, they're making a sequel. To oh, that. are they? Yes, they are. I like that idea. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. And, and another thing I had to say about my dinner with Andre that sort of bit fucked me up, but now I appreciate it even more is that before I saw the actual film, I saw the Community episode where mm-hmm. Ab, where Abed plays Andre Gregory. Yeah. And they essentially spoof the entire movie. And so it fucked me up a little bit because Abed looks exactly like Andre Gregory. The the mannerisms, everything, he has nailed down perfectly. So throughout the film, I'm just looking at Andre Gregory as Abed. So I'm just like <laughs> laughing half. I mean, he nails everything. I, I really want to go back and watch that Community episode now because I have like a a much more greater appreciation for what they did in that episode. It was amazing. He looks exactly like him. <laughs> now, the other film that I saw was The East. The Zal Batman Geel film. Yeah, I've been really... I really want to see this. The follow-up to Sound of My Voice with uh, the collaboration with Brick Marlin again. How is it? Extremely predictable. It's okay. It's like a meh. It's like a meh for me. Britt Marlin does an amazing job. She really shines in the film. Um, I don't understand why people are into Alexander Skarsgård because he was fucking terrible. He was absolutely terrible in this film. And I think it's really the only thing I've ever seen him in, except that I have tried on two separate occasions to watch uh, True Blood, but it was so (laughs) fucking awful that I couldn't. Oh, oh my. True Blood is one of the worst things I've ever seen. That's why people love him. It's because he's Eric from True Blood. Uh, I don't get it. I mean, he was in Melancholia, which I don't really remember him in. Yeah, people don't <laughs> like him for that. <laughs> I knew that people liked him for for uh, True Blood. But man, he it's straight up, he's a, he's a bad actor. He's bad. If you think he's bad, wait till you see... Well, you probably won't see. But you know that show on Hemlock... Uh, on Netflix, Hemlock Grove. Okay, yeah, I've heard of it. That's his younger brother is in that show. Oh, come on. And Just, he's uh runs he's even fa- worse. It runs in the family apparently. Yeah, his his brother is awful. Wow. Bill Bill Skarsgård. Yeah. Which is the son of Stellan Skarsgård? So is Alexander Skarsgård the son of Stellan Skarsgård? Yeah, I think so. Wow. Stellan Skarsgård is amazing. And his kids are fucking terrible. <laughs> what happened? What happened? Uh, that's that's a, that's sad. I wonder how he feels about that. But yeah, I mean, this is a uh, a very predictable thriller uh, dealing with echo terrorism. Britt Marling plays like a she works for a company that he sort of does like recon work. To try and help out corporate espionage, yeah, corporate espionage. You know, working with corporations to find threats and you know to snuff them out. Really, so she goes undercover, goes into the East, which is the eco terrorism group. And what the East does is it's really interesting, and they do a great job of they sort of give corporations a taste of their own medicine. Whatever, whatever that corporation did, they do to those people. You know, the CEOs, the COOs, whatever it is, they do the same thing to them. And that stuff is really interesting. But everything else that plays out in the film is just, it, 
you've seen it before numerous times, and you can see all the twists and turns coming from a mile away. Essentially, when the film first comes on the screen, you know exactly what's going to happen. I still want to see it. It has a really cool website, too. And I mean, the writing's solid. Even though it is predictable, the writing is very solid. Everyone gives very natural performances, except for Skarsgård, who fucking bungles everything that he does. (laughs) I mean... It's it's a solid film. It's just I don't know if I maybe I've seen too many of these that I that it was p- too predictable for me. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like maybe I've just seen so many thrillers that like right off the bat I know everything. I'm like, oh, I know where this yeah. is going. But I mean, it still kept me entertained for the whole time that I was watching it. I would give it probably like a I'm like flirting between like a six and a seven. That actually reminded me, I forgot to mention, I saw a movie called The Haunting of Helena that came out oh, this week. Oh, that's right. I wanted to ask you. This is the Tooth Fairy film, right? Yeah. That's... The reason that you that it reminded me of it is because you said predictable, and then I remembered that movie is like the... It's the most formulaic ghost story horror film I probably have seen in a long time. It's horrible. Awesome. You can read my review on the on the site. I have a review up there, and it is it is awful. Wow, great, great. There was one other film that I tried to watch, and I I just stopped it because it was fucking terrible. Which is called Friday Night. It's from two thousand two. It's a French film by Claire Dennis, and I like Claire Dennis. But it this is a film about a woman trying to get to a friend's house, and there's a public transportation strike. So Everything's just traffic gridlock. I watched 41 minutes of this film. For 41 minutes, guess what it was about? A traffic jam? A fucking traffic jam. <laughs> That's it. Nothing else to it. And I, I know the film is supposed to have like this ending and it has this twist, but I just couldn't get there. I don't have time to watch a traffic jam. For however longer it probably went on, I mean, I didn't, I couldn't even make it forty minutes. I just don't have time for that shit. Kevin doesn't have time for traffic jams. I don't have time for traffic jams, and I mean, I, I like Claire Dennis. She did uh, thirty-five shots of rum, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I loved that film. Friday night, no, nope, and I don't think I'm gonna finish it. Which I feel bad because I'm like, oh man, I'm already like fifty percent invested into this film. I honestly only have. Like another 40 minutes to go. But no, I'm not going to do it. I'm sorry. Fuck you. Friday <laughs> night. It's much like being in a traffic jam. But worse. Because I couldn't smoke because I was inside my house. Yeah. At least when I'm in an actual traffic jam, I can smoke a cigarette. So it was worse It was worse than a traffic jam, Adam. All right. Does that uh, wrap it up for you? That, that wraps it up. Let's go ahead and talk about World War Z. Ernie, thanks again for being on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Tired, but I feel like a zombie, but I guess that's appropriate. (laughs) Yeah, today's today's the last day of the L.A. Film Fest, I guess. Yeah, last day of L.A. Film Fest, 10 straight days of movie watching. (laughs) Woo-hoo. Did you see the the awards started coming out? Um, No, I haven't seen uh, any of the awards yet, so I'd be curious to check those out. Yeah, I've been catching some tweets here and there. I think Short Term 12 won narrative competition. Uh, that was a very good one. That's definitely yeah. that was worthy of it. Well, that that won the narrative prize at uh, South by too. So <laughs> they happen to I'm uh, really 
Did they happen to say who won the really documentary? Really interested. What's did that? Did they uh, mention who won the documentary yet? They did, but I can't remember which one that was. I'll have to look it up. Mm. We're going to have all kinds of more coverage on the LA Film Fest later in the week, and we're going to have you back on the show next week to kind of talk about some of the highlights and that type of thing, so stay tuned for that. Uh, For right now, let's go ahead and jump into World War Z. Uh, This is directed by Mark Forster. It's got a ton of writing credits, including Drew Goddard, uh, and I think that... um, Damon Lindelof worked on it. And uh, J. Michael Stravinsky, which I had no idea of. Uh, Yeah. Babylon 5, for those who know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Matthew Michael Carnahan. uh, And it's based on the novel by Max Brooks. The film stars Brad Pitt. Uh, I always get her name wrong, but I guess it's Mariel Enos. Uh, She's the one that's in The Killing, Mm. who I like a lot. Uh, Let's go ahead and read the synopsis. United Nations employee Jerry Lane traverses the world in a race against time to stop the zombie pandemic that is toppling armies and governments and threatening to destroy humanity itself. Now, I do have a review for this up on the site, so let's go ahead and start with you, Ernie. What did you think of World War Z? Um, For a zombie film, it was pretty bloodless, which was interesting, and I... didn't even dawn on me that it was PG-13 until, yeah. until after the fact, because I was expecting R-rated. Um, and it was decent for a PG-13 zombie movie. I mean, there was plenty of action, and it had a decent story. But um, I had, I'm had i influenced by the fact that I read the novel, which was a fantastic read. And mm-hmm. obviously, a lot of people, the, the common saying is that the book is usually better than the movie. It's true here. But mm-hmm. as a standalone, totally forgetting the book, it's actually a decent, decent uh, zombie thriller. PG-13 zombie thriller. Would have been cool if it was R, but for what it was, it was okay. Well, I'm glad you brought that up right off the bat because that was actually something that I completely forgot to write about in my review. And I'm going to actually add that. I'm going to add that in a comment on my review. I I thought that the, the fact that they deliberately made it PG-13 and... It was so obvious, and Mm -hmm. it actually pulled me out of the movie several times where they were, like, going out of their way to keep all the violence off frame, and I thought that 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 kind of was problematic. That was kind of interesting because if you ever watched The Walking Dead, just one episode alone was far violent than the entire movie. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, there there was, like, almost no blood in this whatsoever. It was, like... And and the other thing is like they I guess they were they were zombies but there was no eating people or anything like that I mean these these zombies were not devouring humans right. they were just kind of toppling over one another and trying to bite you yeah. Yeah. but that being said I still enjoyed the movie I thought that the first two acts of the film were incredibly tense and suspenseful mm. I mean it was fast and it was a lot of action. Almost nonstop, really. Right. And then the third act of the film, it was like almost a completely different movie. After there's what you see in the trailer, it's not a big spoiler. Something happens on a plane. <clears throat> and I'm sure by this point, everyone in the entire world has seen this trailer because I think that they played this trailer more than anything, any other movie I've right. ever seen. It was like every five minutes this trailer was on. <laughs> and. There's a specific scene in a plane, and after that scene, it felt like the movie 
completely swish gears and i'm assuming that that's the added part you know because there was yeah that's right yeah i totally forgot that they uh pulled it for reshoots (laughs) yeah i mean they they basically the entire third act of the film was was new Mm. and i'm assuming that after that plane incident is when they switched it because the pace of the film and the tone completely changed yeah, it'd be interesting it, it to went, see what it was that they changed, because in a lot of films, that plane crash would essentially be the finale. <laughs> yeah, then, well, um, I, I did read that the original cut of this film was only 74 minutes long. Wow. <laughs> so, I don't think that, I don't, I don't think it was that they changed things. That is, I think that that is stuff. That's... They, they didn't even have an ending. Wow, that, that, that would be, that's even shorter than a Walking Dead pilot. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm pretty sure that the whole third act was all stuff that uh, Damon Lindelof worked on, and even that, I, I liked it overall. Like, I don't think that adding that, even though that the the pace is completely different, it's much more, it's much slower, and it's mm. got a more somber pace to it. Yeah, yeah. That last part, uh, I still liked it. I still thought it was effective. It's uh, um, they pull a lot of elements from different films, like particularly the fast-running zombies of Dawn of the Dead and Twenty Eight Days uh, Later, and then uh, and basically, and then the drama of The Walking Dead, and when they're not dealing with the zombies and they try to pull it together. But uh, for me, I would have, after reading the novel and then seeing the trailer, I was like, ah, this is nothing like it. I would have preferred a more miniseries approach to it than what they did here. But again. It apparently they have, and I think it did like 60 million opening weekends. So I think it's a safe bet that the world will continue. So hopefully they'll start mining the stuff that they kind of ignored from the book. That was fantastic. Yeah, I think that uh, the original script to this was structured more similarly to the book. Now, I read the book, too, Mm -hmm. and it is definitely one of those things that's kind of unfilmable just in the way that it's written yeah and the they they kind of tap into some of the ideas of the book a little bit in this like Mm -hmm. the book is more about the socio-political ramifications of the outbreak and kind of you know it's it's from the point of view of people from all over the world telling their story about what happened Mm -hmm. and i i like that i like i think that that's really cool and i wish that they would have gotten into that more in this movie. And we do get to see him go to several different countries. Right. But there were there were some issues that I had though with the plot like like first of all, I'm going to try to not do any kind of major spoilers or anything, but basically he's looking for patient 0, right? Yeah. And they kind of abandoned that like at one point and they just he's like, "Okay, well, we're not looking for this this person anymore. Let's go here instead. And I just felt like there were certain plot points that they just kind of left hanging in the wind that they didn't expound on. Like they just dropped them and then went in a different direction. Right. And I just wish that they kind of developed that more. And I know that most of the issues with the plot can probably be attributed to the, the issues that they're having with the script and all that stuff, mm-hmm. but but still. Yeah, there was uh, stuff like the 
felt the uh, the clues that were being revealed were a little uh, interesting at first, but then a little heavy handed <laughs> when they're when mm-hmm. they go back to them because it's like, yeah, I got that. You don't need to hammer it into my head. I understood that. <laughs> I'm not I'm not dumb. <laughs> yeah. I was paying attention. Come on. So. I think what it boils down to is that it's it's a solid movie, but it does have some flaws. Yeah. I think that for for everything for every one thing that they did right, I think that there was something about it that I had an issue with. Like for instance, the the way that they that he figured out how quickly you turn, mm-hmm. I liked that a lot. I, I thought that that adding that in there was really cool. Right. And how he kept coming back to that and and all that thought that was great that that was really that was something different you know yeah yeah because you know, it's never really established but like he's a he's a scientist he's a thinking man and he, i guess he knows what he's doing so so you can get behind this guy hopefully he'll be the savior <laughs> now going back to the zombies like you said that they're the they're the fast kind they're the 28 days later dawn of the dead remake uh, sad, sadly the cgi variety <laughs> Yeah, so, very CG. What yeah. did you think of the kind of flowing zombie tidal waves that they had in this in this movie? The the tidal waves were the concept of it was cool, but again, because it was CGI, it kind of I've heard this said before about other movies where the threat is presented CGI, then you feel no threat because it doesn't feel visceral, it doesn't feel real. But in this case, it's like, it's like, okay, it's just a flood of ones and zeros coming at me. I'm like, it really, didn't, <laughs> it really didn't feel scary to me as opposed to like in uh, later in the film when it's just six or seven actual practical zombies right down the hallway after you. I can that I can feel, but I'm like, oh, a hundred zombies coming at me. Oh, they're obviously fake. <laughs> so, yeah, but. yeah. Well, I did, I did feel like this was. A zombie movie that was on a much larger scale than what we what we usually see in zombie movies. Usually, zombie movies are really isolated. You know, yeah. small areas, yeah. small towns, uh, even a lot of them that contain in like one building. And this was more on a global scale, and I and I like that. Yeah, I think this but is. Like uh, I, said, I think this might have been one of the first. I might be wrong. But it might have been one of the first global scale zombie movies. I think I'm I mean, thinking back. Usually, zombie movies are are relatively small budgets. Yeah, they usually so, just stay within one city, like a major metropolitan area, like Dallas yeah. or L.A. or New York or something. But this was all over the map. So, yeah, and I thought that that was great. But like I said before, I think it would have been cooler to see other cities and right. to see how because essentially the film plays out almost like. Uh, like a mystery of sorts where he's trying to unravel what what caused this and how to stop it right but i didn't think that they went far enough with that Mm -hmm. and i I just wish that there was there was more of that now um it, it seems like did you get the sense that they're trying to make this into a franchise um not until I think recently Brad Pitt stated that there's more material that they want to do. And, uh, and then uh, the fact that it made a lot of money and also the fact that the film alludes to that there's, this isn't over. <laughs> so Yeah. And, and they do, they do allude to that, but it, it felt like to me, it felt like 
everything was kind of wrapped up pretty nicely. Like, I don't, I don't feel like they need to continue this story, really. But mm. like you said, if if they try to if they try to go back to the source material and right. use some more of what they what the book has to offer, right? I think that would be interesting. I thought it would be cool if they made a documentary style film. Yeah. Yeah. And and just use the book directly and had like you know make it like a mock Ken Burns style documentary. Yeah, yeah, I think that, that, would, that would be been great. great. I was thinking, I think of it uh, for those who've read the book. There was the uh, I don't know if you remember the sequence where the uh, pilot had to bail over the bayou, mm-hmm. and then she basically had to make her way through the bayou, and it was in communication with somebody that to help her get through it. And there were zombies here and there. I thought that was like an intense section of the book. And then when, uh, when, when dealing with the plane and then uh, the aftermath, I was like, no, I wonder if this is that part of the book. <laughs> so it didn't play out that way, it but be. it could I, have been influenced by it. But. I was definitely trying to find threads of the book in this movie. And, I, mm-hmm. and it's been a long time since I read the book. So I, I, only, I only read it recently. So probably after I saw the first trailer. I think earlier this year, that's the, when I first read the book. So, oh, okay. So, so relatively fresh in my mind. Now, there was, in the book, there was a a UN representative that was going around. Yeah. If, getting, doing I believe, interviews. I, yeah, right? I believe so. He was the one running around doing interviews and just going from, jumping from location to location. And there were connecting threads in the interview. It was like, this person's talking about, I saw this guy doing this. And then there's a whole section mm-hmm. that's actually dealing with that guy and that moment in time in history. And then it was like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember this guy and this guy. And then as it goes along, he starts picking up pieces like, oh, wait a minute. This has a connection here. This might mean something and stuff like that. So Now, I wanted to ask uh, what you thought of the the kind of familial element that was in this movie, because there is a good good chunk of the movie that's spent uh, with interactions between Brad Pitt and his wife and two kids. Did you did you find that to be effective? Um, it was, uh, I guess you got to give a face to what he's fighting for. So the family would, is definitely would be it. Um, I mean, if it was just going off there just to save the world, it was like, "Mm, okay. But if I guess it was necessary to have the audience to have something to latch onto and understand what he's actually, why he's doing what he's doing. So for the film that works, I mean, for me, it was just like, uh, just melodramatic fluff. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. but it was like it wasn't as bad as it could have been so but it was it was well, okay see, I, I thought it was fine i they don't spend a lot of time on that so i was okay with how they did it and one one thing that i found was in that was interesting i i heard a, a review on this movie where they they kind of talk about uh mariel enos's character saying that she plays this kind of stereotypical like weak female role but uh, when i saw it i far, kind of got the exact opposite effect yeah, definitely not so i i thought that she was because when when the shit hits the fan at the very beginning of the movie there's they, they don't spend a lot of time with setup they just yeah. you know force these characters into this situation and as soon as it happens she's like immediately on the same page as him yeah she you know and, and there she knows what her husband does and she knows the routine she's been through it before and she knows how important it is and what they've got to do and she's not she's not that stereotypical woman waiting by the phone waiting for the call and i mean when she gets that call even 
she even knows what to do. It's like, okay, this has got to go to the higher ups. This is and and yeah. whatnot. So it's just like she's not sitting there like, oh, I finally heard from him. Yay, everything's happy. It's like she knows that she's actually an active participant in his mission. So and the fact that she's taking care of the kids, taking care of other kids, it was definitely not a weak character. <laughs> yeah, I I completely disagreed with that. But then I thought, well, maybe I just took something different away from it. Maybe I didn't see the weakness being conveyed, but I yeah. I thought that she was she played a strong character. Maybe they were expecting her to like lash out or something when uh, against uh, the authorities, but. I guess she was one of the one of the issues. I guess one of the issues that I had uh, was at, at one point he's he's in Israel and mm-hmm. that's that whole scene was great. I love the explanation of how uh, Israel was taking care of the problem yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. I thought that, that was really interesting. Um, but at, at one point he says to his his contact there that he wants to go to India. But that mm. was clearly eighty yard. Like you could tell that they said India. Yeah, I seem but it to wasn't... Think, I seem to remember the, one of the trailers you're saying was Russia. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. They said Russia. But they changed it to India and then mm. <laughs> and then they get on a plane and then they go to Cardiff, Wales. <laughs> so so it's like I'm not mm. sure what happened right there with that, but that's just another one of these kind of nitpicks with this movie where the story never really felt very cohesive. It just mm-hmm. kind of went all over the place. Um, but I did like at the beginning they they have a scientist that that is with him, and, and that that's essentially what starts this whole thing. They yeah. they they hire or task Brad Pitt with escorting this scientist, and something terrible happens right at the beginning, which I didn't see coming at all, and I thought was great. Mm. And then he has to, you know, go in alone. But I, I thought that was really good. And I like the speech that that scientist gave in the plane near the beginning. Yeah, yeah. That was a... uh, sort of sort of describing uh, the virus or whatever was happening. Let's go ahead and jump into a spoiler section. I'll have the time code in the show notes. If you haven't seen the movie yet and you don't want it spoiled, please skip ahead. Uh, I want to talk about the end. What did you think of the, the, the quote-unquote camouflage or cure that they developed to mask themselves from the infected um well the whole bit with him injecting himself i thought that was a great idea but the fact that they didn't carry it far enough that he he scored the first injection it was like i was expecting it's like okay i thought he was going to inject himself again with something else that inject himself on another thing and then finally comes to the one that's injected with another disease that is probably the most lethal thing on the planet and head out i was hoping that's what they were going to do and keep going it's like it gets to the point where it's like yeah he's not gonna get out of this alive because he's got to find that cure and he's the only one who can do it and then i was like it's like oh that would have been great it's like if sacrifice himself to get answer but nope he got on the first shot and i'm not even yeah right i'm not even sure if they actually clearly stated which uh virus it was (laughs) All I, all I remember is that the label said bacteria on it, mm. <laughs> and they made they made sure that we saw that it said bacteria because earlier they mentioned the fact that a bacteria would probably be the best thing to infect yourself with rather yeah. than a virus. Yeah, like and, they they made uh, a point of saying that. 
And then uh, before that, you had one of the assistants saying, it's like, oh, geez, if he pulled something from the left cabinet or whatever it was he said, and yeah, he's pretty yeah. much done. So, but you don't even know. Yeah, but it's like, they don't even. Yeah, you don't even know what you don't know what you pull him out of. It's like, yeah. So that's that's the end of that. I'm like, okay, did he just like pull out the stars wires? I'm like, is it is it uh, polio? It's just a label. <laughs> all it, all it says is bacteria. <laughs> it's up to the scientists to figure out what it is. If, if it's if it was in the hands of the scary movie troop, it would just said the label would just said you're fucked. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm like, okay, yeah. I get that. Okay, it's like don't use that one, but um, I wouldn't mind if they stretched that out further and uh, basically get it to the point really put him in jeopardy. The fact that you don't know what the hell he's got is he actually he's actually making you think he's actually gonna die or even pull a disease where you know there's no cure yet, but he may live longer. So, but that's that was never explored. No, he didn't even get sick. Yeah, like yeah. He, he he didn't even have any symptoms or anything. He was perfectly fine. It's like you might as well was like, hey, and, it, it could have been just herpes or something. <laughs> and in that in that same conversation, didn't they say that it would only that because he was injecting it in his bloodstream, it would like go into effect almost immediately? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. Well, he must have. It must have been one of the safe ones, but not too safe because the zombies. Didn't even bother with him after that. Maybe it was the common cold, but why would they put the common cold in a biohazard section? Yeah, so. well, I, I did think that the uh, that that zombie in that scene was particularly creepy, and yeah, his, uh, uh, his chattering teeth. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's like he's looking at the man. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I thought that that was that was pretty pretty creepy. Like overall, I thought that the the zombies, like the design, the look of the zombies was fine but like i said before if if you're gonna make a zombie movie you better have the zombies eating people yeah that's, that's what, what zombies do that's what people expect it's uh <laughs> it's like okay you can scare us with the with the uh the fast zombies from 28 days later but at least they're actually attacking you and ripping you apart i don't remember if they were eating you but i do remember them just like ripping people to shit no i don't think they ate you in in 28 yeah. days later but they did like rip you apart. yeah i think 28 days it was some sort of is a Versus the rage virus, eighties or something. So, but um, yeah, it was yeah. called the rage virus. And, and uh, for this one, I felt like the the movie's under two hours, which for me was a bit of concern. And when the the wrap up, the epilogue seemed a little too clean. <laughs> like a, I was hoping for more, and they're saying it's like okay, it's like they got it cleaned up, and I thought there would have been more to it. And then it's like okay, this war's not over yet. So that's pretty much how how it ends. Like this war has just begun, or something to that effect. So yeah, but yeah, they showed this like mon, you know, this like montage of uh, them airdropping the the vaccine to different places and stuff. But well, speaking of drops, yeah. I love the shot where they're flying. I can't remember where they're flying from Korea. I think it was, and then a nuclear bomb goes off. <laughs> oh yeah, not a bomb, but I think a nuclear reactor just exploded. <laughs> Like, yeah, that was crazy. Like, <laughs> like, well, I guess that that should be mentioned. the The destruction in this movie is so massive, yeah. and I thought that a lot of it looked really good. Now, I didn't see it in three D. Did you see it in three D? No, I didn't see it in three D. So. I heard that the three D is actually good, really quite good in this, and which is funny because like when I first saw that this was in three D, I was just like, yeah, they're trying to recoup some of that money that they 
they spent reshooting yeah. all of it. I didn't even think I was aware it was in 3D until I saw the listings. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, I, I don't even think I knew either. Like, I was like, what? It's in 3D? Um, it's odd. But I heard the 3D is pretty good in it, so I don't know. Maybe if you're going to check it out, check it uh, out in 3D. Um, going back to the the whole idea of making a sequel and making this a franchise and, and the end, mm-hmm. uh, I, I just don't see how making another one could, if they continue this from the end, I don't see how it could be as um, interesting because they have a vaccine. Yeah. Yeah, you know they have a cure. Just, it's basically just going to be, it's going to be the dramatic version of warm bodies. <laughs> yeah, like I just don't, <laughs> I just don't see where they can go from here. And I could see how maybe they would go back and tell the tell the story from a different perspective. Yeah, they, but... they could do it like they could do it like a sequel prequel where they start mining the book and telling like stories that happened during. Before he found the cure, not the cure, but the uh, the camouflaged uh, virus and uh, stuff like yeah. that. But if in a sequel, the only logical way there's gonna it's gonna be finding patient zero or eliminating the uh, virus or the virus mutates or something. Oh so, well, yeah, they could they could do something with it like mutating or something, but uh, I don't know. Um, overall, I thought that uh, towards the end it, it got a little got a little shaky for me in in the the story department mm-hmm. towards the end, but right. Uh, any other spoilers you want to add? Um, nothing immediately off the top of my head. Uh, I'm just glad that the trailer didn't spoil everything. Uh, no, the trailer spoiled a, some of the bigger set pieces, but nothing, nothing major. I actually thought that it, that, that it looked, cause I remember when I first saw the trailer, I thought that the whole zombie like tidal wave looked bad, mm-hmm. and I still don't think that it looked great in the film itself. But I thought that it was more effective. Yeah, if if that even makes any sense, because it's essentially the same footage. I guess just in the context, it worked better. Uh, I want to quickly add that I like how the scientist shot himself <laughs> at the beginning accidentally. <laughs> Yeah. At first, I didn't really like, just like, wait, what is that? Oh, okay. <laughs> right off the bat, shoots himself in the face. Um, and also, like, the various things that Brad Pitt does, like, lops off the hand of a soldier who got bit before he even knows what's, if that's even going to be effective. And, yeah. Uh, I thought, and I yeah, also like the pretty... fact that um, I was expecting on the airplane, the airplane scene, the dog to be infected. But I was wondering about that if that's what they were going to do, like have dogs be like the carrier or something like that. Mm. I was wondering if that if they're going to go there with it. I was kind of glad they didn't, but right. I, I did like that Brad Pitt, he was a smart guy. I mean, you could tell that he was figuring things out that no one else seemed to be very receptive of. Yeah. And I like that he was piecing it together. And I like the whole mystery aspect of it. Although I will say that it seemed kind of ridiculous that they were, that they thought that they could even, f- that there was a possibility that they could find patient zero. Like that to me. And like the whole, that that character, that like CIA guy that was in the jail. Yeah. Like I felt like his character seemed 
a little unnecessary. I he, mean, he, he, kind of... he existed strictly for exposition. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Yeah, <laughs> they they put him in there completely for exposition, and then that was it. They were probably writing it. It was like, we need to get him here, but there's nobody at the base who knows how to get him there. Like, oh, let's just throw this guy in there. Okay. <laughs> He's uh, selling arms to North Korea. I'm like, all right, perfect. No. Now, if there's a couple of things, though, like, if we knew that this was going to be part of some sort of franchise or series and we knew that that character might be coming back and like hearing his story or something like that, that'd be one thing. Like, um, like Sin City is a good example where in Sin City, you see characters that don't really have anything to do with the story just yet, but then they come back later and you're like, Oh, I remember seeing that guy in the bar or whatever. Right. And if they did something like that, it'd be cool. But I don't think they will. Also, I wanted to add in the trailer, and this is one of these little things that I notice in the trailer, that guy in the jail has one big tooth. And in the movie itself, he's completely toothless. And they put in this weird prosthetic. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, fake. I was like, where's his teeth? <laughs> yeah. In the trailer, he has like one giant tooth. Yeah, I've seen him remember him uh, in his dialogue. He was like saying, like, yeah, take out the teeth and they can't bite you. <laughs> so yeah. he removed his own teeth, I guess. <laughs> so I guess that that was some kind of added thing. Yeah, there was other, there just... was other things like that I loved, especially when dealing with the military, the, the other soldiers got each other's back, especially after he got bit. And they're like saying, it's like, yeah. it's like shit, I, I got, I'm a Zeke. And it's like, and they're like, don't worry, boss, I got you. Like uh, he was just waiting to pull the trigger when he turned. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I like I liked that scene. I thought that that whole scene riding the bikes out to the plane was was really was really cool. It's really suspenseful, and the phone ringing and that little quip that he said after his phone started ringing. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, that, please turn off the cell phones pages or, not yeah. or something like that. Yeah, I thought that that was that was kind of fun, and there are a couple little little moments of humor in this. It wasn't a completely humorless film, which I yeah, appreciate. Unlike uh, Man of Steel, which is <laughs> yes, devoid of, of humor. Very, very serious movie. A little too serious. Yeah. But all right, let's go ahead and um, get out of this spoiler section. Overall, what do you, what are you thinking on uh, a score for World War Z? Oh, I'd give it about a six out of 10. Uh, I mean, it was entertaining enough, but, for me, it wasn't all that intense or, or thrilling as as it was reading the book, which I couldn't put down, and compared to other zombie movies. But at first, it was entertaining for what it was. I mean, it's a PG-13 zombie movie, so I guess you're limited by what they can do and what they can show. But for overall, it was pretty good, and if they do make another one, I wouldn't mind seeing it. Yeah, I uh, I think I scored it a 6.5, and, a half, and I'm, I pretty much agree with you on there. I like... It was it was fun. I would recommend it'd probably be a light recommend to go see this. I mean, I think that it fits well with the the summer popcorn movies. Uh surprised at how well it's doing actually. Yeah. I was expecting like typical zombie numbers, but no. Maybe it's the P- was, maybe it's the PG thirteen. So it it could be. I was ready for this to bomb. Yeah. I thought because after reading about like just all the reshoots and like Mark Forster almost got fired and just all this craziness on the set. I was like, oh, man, I don't know if they're going to be able to cobble this together. But I thought they did a fairly decent job. I mean, it does show that there were issues with it. Right. 
but I think that they did the best they could at putting something somewhat cohesive together. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big, I'm a huge fan of zombie movies too. I mean, I used to have a, uh, a zombie movie blog and oh. I've seen like hundreds of zombie movies. <laughs> so as far as like in the pantheon of, of zombie films, I would probably put this maybe like in the top 20 or 30. It's not mm-hmm. one of the best. Right. That's for sure. Right. That's still good enough for, for a big yeah, summer it's... blockbuster zombie movie. So those are pretty rare. So I think that... Uh, I, I can't even think of any PG-13 zombie movies except maybe Warm Bodies. <laughs> Probably that, that wasn't exactly a... Uh, that was a Zomcom, I think. that was That's how it was coined. <laughs> a Rom... A Rom Zomcom. Rom Zomcom. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, there you have it. World War Z playing in a theater near you. Thank you, Ernie, for taking some time to talk with us. No problem. Okay, let's go ahead and move on into some predictions. Last week we predicted World War Z. I said 64, you said 68, actual 68. Wow. On some WWZ. All right. You you got both of them this week. Monsters <laughs> University. I said 92, you said 88, actual 77. 77. Wow. Yeah. So it's a lot lower than I thought it would be. Yeah, me too. Me too cuz there was a lot of like early buzz coming out of that movie saying it was like really good. Yeah. And I mean it. A lot of times I don't agree with the Rotten Tomatoes score necessarily, but yeah. seventy-seven is pretty, for me at least, pretty on the nose Which, for that one. With this being an animated film, I want to point out two things real quick. Uh, number one is why the fuck did I pick Planes for my blockbuster top ten? And then this, I don't know. The second one is what? Is, what's going on with this Frozen film? Why? Why are they talking about this already? I don't know. I I saw the uh, you, the teaser. Are you kidding me? Oh, one thing I wanted to mention about Monsters University: another fantastic short before the film. Oh, that's a, that's my favorite thing about these films. Yeah, it was the uh, I can't remember what it's called. It's the umbrella one. You might have seen something about that online. The umbrella one. But it's about umbrella two two umbrellas. Ah, they'll they'll personify anything oh it's great too it's like uh and they mix this one you know the the last one with paper man was kind of a 2d 3d hybrid Mm -hmm. well this one mixes in cg with live action oh okay but it's really interesting the whole time i was watching it i was like i couldn't tell what was cg and what was not maybe it's all cg and it just looks very real but i'm pretty sure that there's some real stuff real uh live action in there but it's fantastic wow yeah absolutely fantastic nice. all right um so next week we have a fairly light week nothing nothing good nothing really stands out to me honestly we have yeah. white house down which is the new roland emmerich film oh favorite director ever yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna guess 52 i'm gonna guess 22 Okay. He's fucking terrible. Roland Emmerich. Oh, I don't like joke. him. But... That guy is such a... Why? Why? Why did they give him money? He's been making movies for a long time. I know, and they've all been terrible. <laughs> He's been terrible a of, for a long time. A lot of disaster movies. Uh, then we have The Heat. This is the one with Melissa McCarthy and uh, Sandra Bullock. But this, this is sort of unfortunate. 
I think, from Melissa McCarthy. She seems to have, you know, outgrown her welcome, worn it out a little bit. I feel bad. But I have a feeling that this isn't going to be that good. No, I don't either. Mostly because of, what was the film? Oh, Identity Theft, right? Identity Thief? Yeah, that's that's unfortunate. That that I came didn't out see that. Ryan, Ryan saw that and he said it's really bad. Oh, I have a feeling this is going to be slightly better, but not by much. Let's say like a 60. This is directed by the the same director that did Bridesmaids. Yeah. It, I'm going to say... That, does, that doesn't tell me too much. No, it doesn't at all. I'm going to say 62, I guess. Uh, let me let me retract that, and I'm going to say 55. 55. All right. Uh, and then finally, I I think this is getting a wide release, but it's uh, Byzantium. That's it's the vampire. Oh, okay. Film. Yeah, yeah. I think that's getting a wide release, so we'll we'll just predict it anyway. It, I, I know it's definitely not coming around my area. Okay. Maybe it's not getting a wide release. We'll go ahead and Well, even if it was getting a wide release, anyway. I don't think it would come around my area. <laughs> you didn't get Iron Man 3. <laughs> it's just, there's certain films that they just, they're like, nah, sorry. Not, I don't, I don't really it. know anything about this at all. So, is it based on like an Anne Rice novel or something? Oh, maybe not. Maybe not. It sounds like it would be. Oh, it's based on a play. Oh, okay. I know that there is a new Anne Rice adaptation coming out soon. I guess it's something else, but uh, I'm going to guess 48 on this. 48. Oh, that's what I was thinking. So, by the the play is from the woman that wrote the screenplay for Jane Eyre. So, I'm going to guess. You said 48. I'm going to go like 50. Okay. And then we have some limited release things just to mention quickly. I'm so excited. Yes. Which, I'm, which yeah, I'm, I want to see that. I think that looks pretty good. I think, I think Ernie, I know Ernie was trying to catch that at the LA Film Fest. I don't know if he saw it, though. Uh, Redemption, which is a Jason Statham movie that had zero marketing. So that's, that's where Statham is now. <laughs> Zero marketing for his films. I heard that this one I actually could be pretty good, so I think that it's getting an on-demand they, release as well as a theatrical. They try to tell you that with every Statham movie that comes yeah, out. I know. This one's actually good. This one's actually good, though. No, check this one out. Uh, a band called Death in Select Cities, and How to Make Money Selling Drugs is in Select Cities. That's also playing on demand, so mm-hmm. I'm, I want to see that. I heard that that. Looks pretty good. Yeah. Uh, DVD and Blu-ray releases. This is for Tuesday, June 25th, 2013. We have The Call. Probably skip that. Oh. That's a WWE film. Awesome. The Incredible Burt Wonderstone. Did you see that? No. Yeah. Kidding Skip me? it. Looks terrible. Uh, no. I want to see I, this. I want to yeah, see I this heard very th- badly. I heard that this is very good. We We do have a review for that on the site. I also think we have a review for the incredible Burt Wonderstone on the site, so you can check that out. Pusher, which is the the remake of the Nicholas Vinding Rimpf film. Which I think we have a review for that, too. We have a review for that We have as a review well. for every movie we've mentioned so far. Yeah. I don't know. Do we have a review for The Call? Yeah. I don't know if we've... Yes, do, I, do, I do remember reading a review for The Call. Okay. How about that? 
And The Rambler, which we also have a review for. You actually talked to that guy. Yeah. So, pretty dismal week. Uh, Todd in the Book of Pure Evil Season 2 is also out, and we talked to the creator of that as well. I would say, from the list that you just stated, I would go with No and The Rambler. Everything else I would skip. That's my suggestion. Well, with Pusher, I saw I saw Pusher, and I liked it, but... I would just watch the original, though. See, I haven't seen the original, so I don't know... I would take this time, take this time this week to watch the original. I think I'm going to. Do there's, it. I think there's three Do of it. them, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, so I might... I might try to check that check those out. Do that. Criterions? Criterions. One. We have one Shoah. The uh five hundred and fifty minute long uh opus which is an investigation into the Holocaust. So if you wanna feel absolutely <laughs> terrible which this is supposed to be like one of the most amazing films ever made, and I wanna see it very badly. It's just nine Nine plus hours of just depression. I just can't. I haven't been able to bring myself to it yet. Hmm. You don't want to check out nine hours of Holocaust. Well, one of the thing is uh, called Landsman, the director of the film. One of the the you know the big uh, things about this movie is that he gets people to talk very candidly about the Holocaust. Not only survivors, but people that took place in it like a talking head documentary and they just they just let it out there so it's a very it pro- i would have to say from what i can gather it's probably one of the most important films ever made because of its subject matter but like i said it's really tough to bring yourself to watch nine plus hours i, I gotta yeah, I think- do it i gotta do it sometime but man oh it's like i gotta like call off work for that entire week because i'm just gonna be an emotional wreck yeah well i think that it's good that documentaries like that exist because i think sometimes we take it for granted that future generations are not going to have holocaust survivors no to yeah yeah talk to you know what i mean this like, is this is definitely i would say and i haven't seen all of them and i haven't even seen this one but from what i've read and everything is that this is the end-all be-all documentary the holocaust like you mm. can't improve upon this this is it when was this originally released? Uh, 1985. Okay. So there you go. Uh, probably probably check that out. Definitely. Call off uh, work for the week and watch Shoah. I think that pretty much wraps it up. Uh, if you want to check out more of our coverage on the LA Film Festival, I would uh, recommend checking out filmpulse.net. We have a bunch of reviews and all, all kinds of other stuff up on the site right now. And then we're going to have... All of our LA people on the show, I think next week to to go over the the festival because I believe it that that today is the last day of the festival. So Ooh, I saw we got a ten, we got a ten out of ten out of it. We did get a ten out of ten. Ain't them body saints, which I'm even more excited about because it has one of my favorite cinematographers, Bradford Young. I'm just and to see a ten out of ten from that. Oh man, I'm so excited! So far, it seems like the festival's been pretty good. We've been getting uh, almost all the reviews that we've been getting in have been good. Yeah, for all the, yeah, all the movies. Every so. everyone I've read so far has been very positive. Yeah, like so. It. I'm sure that in the in the coming days we're gonna get a, a lot more in 
because I know that I know that uh, Alicia, Gina, and Ernie all saw a ton of stuff. So nice, nice. We'll be uh, reporting on a lot of that. Looking forward to it. For all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. Send us an email at feedback at filmpulse.net. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net, and be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we will see you on Thursday for Ryan Watch's movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to switch it up. second i gotta get a yawn out <sighs> sorry been a long that's day. being left in by the way oh shit okay that will not be edited oh no okay all right <laughs> oh, he's about my fly okay